Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Aaron. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com and you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind the scenes videos and two minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 at bff.fm. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's another Flashback Friday. Uh, we're heading back to episode 290, which was July of 2018. Remember those back in those days? Simpler, simpler times. Uh, it's Ange and I sitting with Rafael Casal and Davi Diggs talking about their film Blind Spotting, which you can see right now on HBO. Um, yeah, we we had a good time interviewing them, but they seemed really serious during the interview, which was fine. Um, well, and they also, were in the heart of a PR. They were in the heart of their tour press. Yes, tour. and they just had a huge um, premiere in Oakland and a big party the night before. So, mm-hmm. um, but it was it was really great to interview them um, that summer. Um, was just a really big Oakland movie summer. Um, Boots Riley also had Sorry to Bother You come out around the same time. And um, yeah, again, what a different time to be alive. <laughs> Little did we know. And we didn't know, we also didn't know that this was going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship with That's the both right, of them. That's right, Ange. That's right. They've both been on twice since then. So Yes. And each time keeps getting better. So. It just keeps getting, it's like a fine wine. <laughs> yeah. Our relationship with them is like a fine wine. Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's, so, a, uh, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon, if you will. I don't know what that means. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, we thought this would be a perfect flashback, especially, you know, this is a holiday weekend. Uh, you can head to HBO and watch Blind Spotting, and you can uh, head to Disney Plus and watch Hamilton, uh, something I haven't seen before. Um, I think. Has everyone else seen that play? No, Char I, I hasn't have, either. Yeah. Okay, so lucky you. Um, <laughs> and just seen it, but I hear um, that David kind of steals the entire show of Hamilton. So I'm looking forward to seeing it, although I kind of don't want to watch it the, for the first time on TV, but I guess that's what's going to happen. Take what you can get. That's right. That's right, Ange. <laughs> so enjoy our Flashback Friday, and um, here we go. Welcome to Bitch Talk. Booze and interview straight from the heart of San Francisco. We're back again in the uh, the good old studio, if you will, doing more ins and outs for <laughs> that ass. <laughs> this time, we are giving you more interview love with Rafael Cazal hmm. and David Diggs. <sighs> uh, <laughs> a blind spotting. Yeah, it was... We were, I'm sweating just talking about we were, it. My hands are we sweating. Were, uh, we'll excited about, yes. on many levels for this interview <laughs> because of the film, because of them and their talent. And uh, yeah, we were real excited for this interview. I can't even sit still like doing this I know, intro. you I'm keep just, sh- like, shifting. It's moving kind of moving and grooving. Um, Blind Spotting is another film that takes place in the heart of Oakland, California, East Bay. And uh, is so different than Sorry to Bother You. So different. Um, how different in, is in, it? In, in, the, in the same vein where it's just unafraid and just very bold and uh, 
just doesn't hold back. Right. But different in its style. And mm -hmm. both of these films are a genre of their own. So there's that. But it's uh, a lot of it's a lot of socio-political uh, commentary, mm -hmm. uh, but very different. Again, very different than Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is like heady. Like it, you can see it one way or you can see it another. And, I think. and it, it's got that like sci-fi magical realism. Actually, this one is kind of like this has a little bit of yeah. sort of anyway. Yeah, but different. Um, but this is more like straight to the point. Versus Sorry to Bother You gives you this bigger, I don't know, bigger story to think about. Right, and this one's very specific. Blind spotting's topical. And, it, and it's... Um, Hella topical. And it's a new... Oh, yeah. All right, anyway. Just super <laughs> shout out to these so guys. Good. They've been working on this script for 10 years, which is, you know, Ange and I are working on a documentary and it's only five years, so... I and mean, I'm already like, yeah, right, we're tired. exhausted. Where's the white towel? Yeah, no, but we're not. <laughs> I'm but just kidding. But anyway, they worked on this for ten years, and um, and it shows. Uh, the film's done really well. You're gonna want to see it two, three, yep. four times, and I feel like every time you watch it, you're gonna catch something new, right? And the music's good, visuals are good. Um, you'll see some familiar faces in there. You'll see some new faces in there, which is perfect. And uh, if you're from the East Bay, like I am, it's just, it's super homey. So um, I hope you see it, even if you're not from the Bay. It just, it talks a lot about what's happening here. And uh, go see Blind Spotting. It opens today in the Bay Area in selected theaters around the country and then wide next week. Kazell and W. Diggs here. They are best friends, former roommates, former Berkeley High students, uh, East Bay, born, raised. Yes. Uh, also writers and actors of the upcoming film Blind Spotting. Welcome to Bitch Talk. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So feel free to curse. Welcome to Bitch Talk. Yes. I had a feeling you'd like that. that word? <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. Uh, first things first, um, I want to know how much the script changed over the course of 10 years, um, because a lot of things in the world changed in the last 10 years, but a lot of things stayed the same. So... How did that reflect in your script? How did it, Diggs? I answered this one last time. Oh, <laughs> oh man, someone already asked this. We're skipping it. Next question. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you know, the, the thing that changed, I mean, the, the, the conversation around uh, police tension and police violence changed, right? Like when, when, we, when we started this, Oscar Grant was this thing worthy of, of protests and riots and, um, and a, a national conversation at that moment, right? What happened over the last 10 years is that that list piled so high and so frequent without any resolve or, or legislation change or really much evolution in the conversation um, that now when, when it happens, we're, we just sort of move on. Um, mm -hmm. not, not because we don't care, but because we know, we know what level of perfect the victim needs to be in order to try to move the needle again. It's one of the lines in the film, Ron Coxell, no protest for you, convicted felon. We're going to stay home on this one. It's not worth the energy. Um, so I think that was it. You know, the, the protests don't happen. And so the, the script really changed to, well, now the only person who's really going to be affected by it is the one person who sees it, which is, you know, David's character, Colin, um, and about the isolation of that experience of like carrying that on your own. 
uh, and that was, I think that's the biggest move the script made. Yeah. But not only, it didn't only change throughout the course of these nine years, but while you were filming, you, you say that certain lines, and if it didn't feel right for a character, it was a very big, a very much collaboration between you and your crew, yeah. or your cast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think once you once you cast somebody you that's that's theirs now right and you're sort of your job as an actor i think is to know more about your character than anyone else particularly an ensemble piece because there's so many moving pieces right so mm -hmm. you know if an actor comes to, comes up to either were to come up to either one of us and be like I don't know why I would say this, or but the the person that I've developed wouldn't say this you got to listen to that if you cat if you cast if you cast the right people, then you have to listen to that, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, they, they've internalized the character deeper than you have at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. so, the, so the finished product came out a lot differently than, than it was on paper initially? Well, I think that's always true yeah. of, of, a, of a film, of the, you know, the, once the thing you make a film three times, in the yeah. writing and the shooting and in the edit, I mean, I, I think actors did things that were interesting and nuanced that, that, that aren't always on paper, and so you get in the cut and you go, well, they gave this facial expression that's super interesting. Let's pair it with this reaction. And um, yeah, you, you know, I don't know that the version of it that was on paper, in the way that I saw it in my head, is is how it looks. It's better. It's so much better. Mm. You do so much with the space in between lines in a film. And so we loved it, dialogue and description. But Robbie and Carlos and our amazing team on the ground. Then in, you know injected it with all of their 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 nuance and love and uh, and brilliance and and so the the end result is so much larger than the sum of its parts. Mm. A little bit about um, Monster um, because I, I read in the notes that Jess Calder, one of the producers, one of the biggest producers of this film, called that sort of the origin of blind spotting. Yeah, it's, that's the title of a, of I think the first poem that she saw me do. Which was which was the catalyst for this this um, music album, uh, but that that poem was a response to a, a good friend of mine when I was about I mean nineteen twenty. Uh, a female friend of mine was killed uh, in in Berkeley in up by up by Cal. Um, she was shot uh, after a party up there. And uh, I had already been through a lot of funerals at that point, a lot of people who had, been, who had passed away from gun violence and shit in the Bay Area. And I remember being there at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, the site where it happened and then also at the funeral with a bunch of the men that I grew up with who'd seen even more of that violence than I had. And I remembered the, the numbness. The poem is about the numbness of violence. Mm -hmm. When it's in an, when it's in abundance, how easy it is to callous over and get used to it, right? We get used to problematic things like that, um, and at a certain point, you don't realize how used to it you are because you're living in the experience. Um, so that poem is about uh, feeling like a monster because I'm looking at things that in in my mind should trigger sadness and crying, and I'm seeing people crying. Mm. Then I'm seeing a row of men behind me that were joking and laughing, and like humor is paired with sadness, that's natural. Right. But there's a disconnect to the violence that starts to happen after a while. Again, I think that speaks to, we, we managed to still pull that into the, the, the film, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that concept of even, you know, even Miles and his proximity to Colin 
Miles isn't isn't desensitized to violence. He 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 wields violence. He knows its impact. He knows the 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 value of it, you know, mm-hmm. and the and the harshness of it. Um, he's he's reactionary because he is in many ways very much afraid of violence. Um, but even him, right next to Colin, who's experienced this incredibly violent, traumatic thing, because he didn't see it, it just doesn't wear on him, mm-hmm. you know. I think that that numbness is sort of where we're at as a country. Like mm-hmm. we, every day. <laughs> every day where we have trauma fatigue. We're watching the news and we see a thing and I like it just doesn't bother me anymore. And it, and that is what bothers me now. Right. I would pick what's bothering you. Well, because you're trying to survive. You're trying not to just yes. cry all day. <laughs> I remember when the, when the Florida oh, shooting mm-hmm. happened, mm-hmm. I avoided it. For like a week, and I'm not even ashamed of that. That's like not my fault. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, country, do something. Mm-hmm. I don't have the emotional capacity for this. Um, which means that like our defense mechanism is to get numb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's the right thing for us as people to do <laughs> to save our for our own mental health. But it's also a really dangerous place for us to be swinging into. Mm-hmm. That point was about wanting to like. <laughs> remind myself to feel because the conscious decision to feel because the unconscious decision is to is to remove and to callous and the whole movie is that lean in to feel Mm -hmm. well that's one of the things that I really love about the film is of of course you capture that the tension and and the anxiety that that comes with with living in in the city but you also there's also so much beauty and laughter and uh, David I think in an interview you said like just because we grew up poor doesn't mean that we were sad all the time (laughs) I think you you did such a great job of capturing those two worlds yeah I mean there's yeah economics don't have anything to do really with happiness right I mean Mm -hmm. you know you find that in your family real or created and so you know one of the things I love so much about the film we watched it last night for the first time in a long time I haven't actually sat through it in a long time uh, Miles and Colin as brothers essentially like bring each other so much joy and like are responsible for that. Like it's their responsibility, right? When one of them is not okay, you tell a joke like because that's your job as as a friend to make sure that the situation is infused with joy. Mm-hmm. And um, I I think that's that's a beautiful thing. And I think um, particularly in like economically depressed communities, you lean on that even heavier. Um, because the the material things that we distract ourselves with aren't as readily available, right? So we we use each other and we use humor and we you know uh, it's a it's a it's a coping mechanism, but a, a particularly healthy one, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have like a few minutes, which makes me sad already. Oh, what? But uh, <laughs> I want to ask you how you guys feel about oakland berkeley san francisco bay area now as opposed to growing up because i have to say all mainly um locals born and raised here and it's rough i for me day to day to to live here and see the changes how do you guys feel when you come back and visit it's really jarring yeah i i mean i watched i watched it happen at berkeley first early early um so berkeley's been gone to me People talk about Berkeley now. I'm like, I do not know the city you are relating to. Um, In what was, ways? If you was, don't mind me asking. I mean, it was such like a lefty, like a super uber 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 lefty, alternative, you know, 
community of people that were so open-minded and so accepting and and now I f what it feels like with my, my just a few years I lived in the in the Midwest and, and have traveled around the country feels like the people who were sort of left for where they're from heard about Berkeley and moved there for some of the bells and whistles of the city but it's really not that it's not that progressive there's an idea of Berkeley now that was Berkeley in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, just just the stats of the demographics of the city have shifted so drastically and the economics of, I mean, my parents bought their house in Berkeley for like 110, <laughs> maybe, you know, mm -hmm. for nothing, mm -hmm. like, and it was not nice. Right. <laughs> we had, right. we had, I remember my mom, something like, I asked my mom once, I was like, why are there like circles in the, in the intersection? Oh, right. Yeah. The like, roundabouts. Yeah. 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 Well, no, no, no. They added the roundabouts. These oh. were tire marks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah. The roundabouts. No. <laughs> tire marks. These are ways that we stop right. and we right. push out certain right. people, you know. That's what they were replaced. Sure they, yeah. The roundabouts came to stop people from doing donuts. I did not know that. You know, okay. The, the, that's, that's why you got to go around. You can't hit your, you can't hit your shit. Um, you know, and I, and I remember the shifting of the titles of the neighborhoods. Like mm -hmm. I live firmly in North Berkeley now. That was West Berkeley my whole life, you know, up until mm -hmm. like 12 or 13. And then, and then it changed it because it was better for the selling of the houses. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, uh, and how Berkeley can you be parade went away and, uh, and and the city got strict in ways that it was really uncomfortable. And, and then everyone from Berkeley couldn't live there anymore. And they moved to Oakland, right? That's why that's why I rep Oakland so hard. That's mm -hmm. why everybody I knew, I mean, all my friends were from Oakland and Berkeley, except all the Berkeley ones left and live in the town now. And now mm -hmm. everyone is getting pushed out of the town. Right. Like, I'm following my people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm repping where my people are. Yeah. I mm -hmm. give a shit about the city limits. I'm repping my community of people. Yeah. Um, that's why, I, I, you know, Growing up in in the, in those two cities, it was so important. But Washington, Berkeley, and Oakland, and, and San Francisco now it's it's a it's a it's a story of 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 you know sort of watching a family member die in mm -hmm. a way. You know, uh, the film for us a lot was like time capsuling. Mm -hmm. It's like mm -hmm. I, I, my the fear of it. There, I have, there's optimism there too, but the fear of it is in 20 years when I want to explain to my children mm -hmm. or, to, uh, or to other people that I love and, and know what it was like to be where we're from. We had nothing to show them that, mm -hmm. that showed what it was like. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this, a lot of this was, I want to show you who the people were, what the town was, what mm -hmm. it felt like, how they talked, how we, how we hung, how we played, how we partied um, before it was gone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a... Out being in San Francisco is a trip, right? I mean, if you spend any time here before, because it's like it's unrecognizable and it it's, uh, is a a product of a completely <laughs> shattered middle class, right? It's oh, yeah. so expensive to live here uh, that you it is you're wealthy or you're homeless, right? That's it. That's, that's it. it. And so mm -hmm. um, there's a kind of <laughs> And there's a weird kind of the the way that culture is sort of covered over through the through the gentrification process is like it's a it's about making something for mass production, right? It's about mm -hmm. a, a, a samening of everything. Mm -hmm. Why Berkeley doesn't feel like Berkeley mm -hmm. anymore? It's why Oakland feels like it's slipping away. It's because, in order to make something for to attract people from everywhere, right? You make it's it's network TV, 
right? It's like mm-hmm. that's that's what we're doing to these cities, mm-hmm. to making them as as palatable to the masses as possible. How many Whole Foods and Starbucks? Can Starbucks, <sighs> Chipotle, and Subway, yeah. also. Subways uh, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because this is something that is is everybody's <laughs> taste, right? Like, and nobody's taste. It right. is no taste. It is not a choice. Right. And that's and that's what I think. Sometimes, in the interest of bringing finance in, we're going for it. One of the reasons it's important to do things like make movies and mm-hmm. and do sort of cultural work that highlights the the city, but also is our shot in the cities because that is an influx of income. That's actually a revenue stream that is right. investing in the thing that's already there, yeah. right. um, and does not rely on new people coming in. It's it's revenue because. Of, of what it looks like mm-hmm. and what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's another reason we shot in the town. It's another reason I'm so happy so many people are starting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I just want to thank you guys for making this is film. There like a bitch talk specific yeah, question. <laughs> so, Those were it. Okay. <laughs> See, pretty, pretty calm. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions.